I'm going to take us this evening to Matthew chapter 4. I'll highly recommend that you meet me there in Matthew chapter 4. And then I'll highly recommend that you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in addition to your daily Bible reading schedule. These opening books of the New Testament are about who Jesus is, what he did, what he said, and the urgency of our response to him. All of that and more in the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now also what we discover in these early books of the New Testament is what happened to Jesus and how he responded. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if... You will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. One of the false ideas about Jesus is that he had such powers, lived at such a high level above men, supernatural, eternal, the Son of God. He just never went through what we go through. And you might hear someone say about this ill-advised idea, well, of course he didn't sin, he was Jesus. That's an uninformed view of him. That he really didn't live an authentic human life and therefore doesn't really grasp what we go through. One response to this idea is to study carefully all the passages that concern Jesus' existence here on earth. The humanity of Jesus. In Hebrews 2, he partook of flesh and blood. Hebrews 2, 18, he is able to aid those who are tempted. 
Or in 1 John chapter 4, he came in the flesh. <coughs> John argues that he lived a real human life here on earth. Suffering and having to answer the needs of a fleshly body, dying a real death. God in the flesh, fully divine, fully human. He didn't use his previously held divine powers to enjoy an easy life and skip the challenges of earth. No. Remember from Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, here in Matthew 4, further evidence that Jesus came to earth and lived a real human life with the experiences that are common to human life on earth. I think this is one of the most important events in the life of Jesus Christ for us to understand here in Matthew 4. So, I want you to first consider the setting, the context. Jesus had been baptized by John. He had heard at that time the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then he was sent by the Spirit into the wilderness and he fasted. 40 days and 40 nights and we ought to pay good attention to what it says here in verse 2 that he was hungry I think it's fair to say most of us have never known this kind of hunger for most of us the hunger that we are familiar with is just before dinner Perhaps on extraordinary occasions we have to postpone a meal and we are hungry. Could be we yearn sometimes for certain kinds of food and we say about that that we are hungry. But have we ever fasted 40 days and 40 nights? Moses fasted 40 days in the mountain before God gave him the law. Elijah fasted 40 days. So Moses knew about this hunger and Elijah, now it says here Jesus. And we have to stretch our imagination to try to conceive what it would mean to fast 40 days and 40 nights. Of course, there's hunger. We may go in for an early morning doctor's appointment for lab work and fast. We get out late in the morning and we are hungry, maybe weak. That's not like this. That's a few hours. Forty days and forty nights. Have you ever heard about or read about the Minnesota starvation experiment in 1945? Our government decided that they needed to know what it meant to starve. So they took a number of men, many of them conscientious objectors, and put them in to a circumstance in Minnesota of starvation. 
And eight weeks in, they monitored the side effects of starvation. And they documented all of that for whatever purposes that was necessary. And one of the side effects of starvation after that period of time was violence. And one effect was these men did things they would not have done at the start of that experiment. You can read about that, not right now. The Minnesota Starvation Experiment. And they discovered that these men were disinhibited because of starvation. That means the inhibitions and the guards that they had in their conduct and their attitude and their treatment of people at the beginning of the experiment were lost as an effect of starvation. It is at this point that the tempter came to Jesus. See, the devil was watching. The devil saw his opportunity looking for just the moment of weakness to attack Jesus in his hunger. And he quickly stepped in to launch his attack against the Son of God. He said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Turn this rock quarry into a bakery. The devil is the master of little words that carry big meaning. The word not, for example, the devil said to Eve, you will not surely die if you partake of this fruit. <clears throat> the devil sometimes will quote God and place that little word in the quotation. So here's another case. If you are the Son of God now. I think the devil knew who he was speaking to, even though he didn't respect him. James 2.19 says, James 2.19 says, The demons believe and shudder. But the devil wants to speak in such a way as to instill what he thought would result in doubt. But it didn't. He said, If you are the Son of God, and then the first temptation is the suggestion that Jesus use his powers to turn rock into bread. Now, Jesus had powers. Let there be light, and there was light. Jesus was there. He was there in the beginning, John says, in John chapter 1. Jesus had powers. But he's not going to use his powers to answer a request by the devil even though he's hungry. He's not going to act independent and outside of the will of God. To take care of himself in his hunger in response to the devil. I read a paraphrase one time. Here you are was the language of Satan hungry and cast out, alone and needy and poor, and yet you're the Son of God. If you have that kind of power, how easy would it be to satisfy your hunger at this moment? 
Well, what's wrong with that suggestion? He was hungry. He could have turned stone into bread. First of all, the source of the suggestion. The devil was the source of the suggestion. Jesus didn't get his ideas about what to do for menu from the devil, nor should we. Second, Jesus never used his powers to answer a bodily need. Third, physical hunger was never his priority. There was another kind of hunger. There was another kind of food that was his priority. And that's what he said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, if you're keeping score, Jesus won, the devil zero. Another attempt follows. The devil takes him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. At this time, the devil probably in his mind thinks he's getting clever. And he quotes scripture, sort of. That's what a lot of people do. They quote scripture, sort of, or partially. But they don't do well. He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. So the devil left out part of the quotation. He ignored the context. He misapplied it altogether. That's what people sometimes do when they quote scripture. They quote part of it, ignore the context, and misapply the meaning. So the devil left out the phrase, to keep thee in all thy ways. And he added the phrase, at any time. So the devil is misquoting scripture using his misquotation in a misapplication to attempt to lead Jesus into sin. Doesn't work because Jesus knew the written word perfectly. The devil's suggestion is, Jesus, you need to do something sensational. You can, therefore you should. He is tempting Jesus to engage in some dramatic sensational act. Sensation is popular in religion today to push around on sensational buttons. But Jesus isn't going to do this. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You still keeping score? Jesus too. The devil, nothing. Satan cannot persuade. He cannot push. Satan can tempt and deceive and uh, uh, Satan can tempt and deceive and promise and lead and show and suggest, but he cannot push you into sin against your will. Verses eight through ten. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord you God, your God, and him only shall you serve. This time, 
the devil in his mind thinks he's moving higher. And he takes his assault to even a bolder, higher place in his mind, and yet he still fails. He says to Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, all these can be yours if you'll fall down and worship me. Well, first of all, you see this was a lie. And it was an appeal to lust for power. Instead of being put to death by the world, the devil says, I'll just give you all this. But in this bargain, there is the ugly condition that the Son of God fall down and worship the devil. Jesus said, if I may translate freely, get out of here, man. Get out of here. And again, Jesus quoted the Bible correctly. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. You're still keeping score. Jesus 3, the devil nothing. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And this, of course, was the end of this direct assault. Though Jesus was surely tempted as we are, yet without sin. Turn to Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If people think Jesus had it easy, if you hear the suggestion that he couldn't have sinned anyway, he couldn't have sinned anyway, he used his divine powers and he could live above all the earthly challenges that we go through. That's a misunderstanding of the true biblical account of who Jesus is and what he did for us and what he experienced. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Because of his endurance, his resistance, his victory over sin, and then his death for us, and his resurrection, and his presence now at the right hand of God, we who are his people can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, what's Jesus doing for us in the text in Matthew 4? First, you cannot answer temptation without entering into a relationship with God. Now you may answer it with sin, but I'm talking about a good answer to temptation. 
<clears throat> you cannot answer temptation correctly without entering into a relationship with God. Jesus had a solid living relationship with God before this event. You can't get in the middle of temptation and try to craft temporarily some temporary relationship with God to get you through that temptation. And then when you've said no to that one, jump into a bunch of others and right back into sin. That doesn't work. You have to have a consistent, sturdy, ongoing relationship with God to be able to say no to what God expects you to say no to. Psalms chapter seventy and uh, chapter forty and verse seven. Jesus came to do the will of God. You must want to do the will of God before the devil tempts you to do His will. Then you're equipped to say no. I'm not doing that, Satan. See, the vertical relationship with God must be firm before the horizontal challenges on earth can be effectively encountered. The vertical relationship with God must be firm before the horizontal challenges on earth can be effectively encountered. Second, there must be reliance on the Word of God to give the correct answer when temptation comes. Reliance on the Word of God. This just follows. If you have a strong relationship with God, what will be a part of that? Your reliance on His Word. Daily Bible reading. Applying the Word in your life. Jesus quoted Scripture. He relied on what he had learned from the book. And so must we. I ought to be able to answer every temptation with Scripture. But you can't do it this way. Well, I'm being tempted to do this. So I'm going to put the temptation on pause... I'm going to go over here and see if I can find something that relates to that. I'm going to open up the Internet Bible program there and see if I can find something. I'll call the preacher. So I'm going to put the temptation on hold. And there's no music when you put temptation on hold. In fact, you can't put temptation on hold. So rather than go to a quick reference and try to find something, why not... Read your Bible all the time. Daily Bible reading to answer temptation with Scripture. Scripture you've got right up here. You're not acquainted with it suddenly. You were acquainted with it before the temptation attack came. Listening to preaching, teaching from the text of Scripture... Reading your Bible prepares you when the devil comes to say, No, get out of here. I'm not doing this. Third, <clears throat> you have to act, I should say react to temptation with strong resistance. You can't sit around and say, Well, Satan, 
Let me get back to you noon Tuesday. Let me think about this. I'll get back to you. I'll call you back. You can't do that about temptation. Turn to 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is on hold and you can call him back later. Oh, no. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, <coughs> knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You must form such an intense hatred of sin that when sin approaches, you smell it, you don't want to go there, and you say no, because you've got that resistance you built up from Scripture and from your relationship with God, so that as soon as you detect the devil is at work in your mind, you throw him out. You throw him out. And you don't wait around to go get an eviction notice. You throw him out immediately. Jesus said, away with you, Satan. So, what did Jesus actually go through here on earth? Actually, he came here. Actually, he lived in a human body. Deity became flesh and dwelt among us, John said. Actually, he was exhausted. Actually, he was hungry. Actually, he suffered pain. Actually, he went through emotions. Actually, he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. So that he died as the spotless, sinless Lamb of God so that we might be forgiven, respond to him, live with God now and eternally. If there's something you need to do tonight about all of this, we invite you to come while we stand together to sing.